Brother Corey Porterfield is going to be bringing the word tonight and we want him to just take his liberty in Jesus and let the Lord speak to your heart. How many of you want God's word to change you before you leave here? Let's make our man of God welcome tonight as he comes in Jesus. Go ahead and give that unto the Lord right now. I like what I feel in this place. Has he been good to you? He is great and greatly to be praised. There's nobody like him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated for just a moment. You can continue to play softly, brother, brother Tucker. Man, did you enjoy that praise team, that choir? My goodness, I'm telling you, what an atmosphere that is in this house. I, I got a little self-conscious. I was sitting by my friend over here on the front row. And I looked at him. I said, three services, one suit, if you smell anything. <laughs> so if you saw me up there dancing in the corners because I was trying not to slay anybody in the spirit. It's all right, though. That's all right. You can't go to apostolic church and not sweat a little bit. That's just how it goes. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't have it any other way. I give honor to this great church. I give honor to your bishop, to your pastor, uh, to all the ministry that is not able to be here tonight, that are ministering uh, in other places, overseas, whatever it may be. I give honor to them, and I do not take it lightly that Pastor Voskis and Bishop Wilson, you know, trusted me while they were gone. It's one thing to have someone come preach and you can have a leash on them. You know, uh, but it's a it, it's a great honor to be able to call and say, "Hey, we're going to be out of town. I want you to preach for us." And I, I don't take that lightly. And I give honor to those great men of God. I thank God for them. And I give honor to this great church. Can you give yourselves a hand clap? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Book of Numbers, chapter fourteen. While you're Turning there, uh, I, there's so many, there's so many friends and people in this this uh, congregation tonight that uh, I love, I, I love all of you so much. There's so many folks that mean so much to me that have been so kind to myself and our family, our church family, over the years, and I, I love you. I do. Uh, it's good to see the Clifton family. I spend a lot of time with those boys back there, and uh, we we share a uh, a common love for horses and cows and those things we like to rope they're better than I am that's all right uh, but I I enjoy it and uh, I, I love that family I thank God for them and and just so many people I love the body of Christ I, I, I do I love the body of Christ and uh, you know in Walnut there's about five churches <laughs> it is it really is and I'm not saying that like I'm telling you there's a bunch of churches in Walnut and somebody asked me one time uh, and I got a point with this. They asked me. They said, "How many? How much? How many people are your church running?" That's what everybody. That's what everybody wants to know. Like, how many of y'all running now? You know, and I, I tell them. Sometimes I'll shock them. I'm like, "Bro, we had to close the doors on that church." But I told them one time. I said, "I'm so fed up with them asking how many were running." I said, "We run about a thousand." They's like, "You don't run a thousand. And I said, "Well, if you start counting Brother Clay Hall's church and Brother Contreras' church." And, you start counting Brother Wilbanks' church over there on the edge of Middleton. You start counting. 
Because that's what we, we, we like to confine the church to. A, let me tell you, we're a part of the church. So I feel at home tonight. This is my church too. Because we're a part of the same church. We're a part of the same family, the same body of Christ. And so when I walk in this place and I see this place up in smoke, people's dancing and because they're delivered. I know they're delivered. I'm telling you, I, I, I look and I get so excited about what God is doing in Potts Camp, Bethlehem, Mississippi. You ought to give God praise right now. Oh, hallelujah. One preacher said it and I've said it ever since. If you serve an okay God, give him an okay praise. But if there's somebody in this place that serves a great God, why don't you give him the best praise? Give him 10 seconds of the best praise that you got. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Book of Numbers, chapter 14, verse 18. Go to the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 30, verse 19. Hold your finger there. Go back to the book of Numbers, chapter 14. It's good to see Brother Devin Coleman. He preached at Ashland today, and there was a slew of folks from Bethlehem there playing music and stuff. What an honor. I mean, he preached. I'm telling y'all, he preached so great uh, this afternoon at Ashland. And, uh, man, they, they played and sang. It was fantastic. Numbers 14, verse 18. The Bible says, The Lord is long-suffering and great and of great mercy forgiving iniquity and transgression by no means clearing the guilty. This is what I want you to notice. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. Look how far it, it goes. Unto the third and fourth generation. Go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verse 19. I struggled. The Lord wanted me to preach this tonight. I can go ahead and tell you I want to preach something else. But I feel like the Lord knows more than I do. Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you. Everybody say life. And death, blessing, and cursing. Therefore, choose life. It's that simple. You got before you blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life. And then it says this. This is what I want you to notice. Here's the reason you choose life. That both thou, you, and the seed may live. You and your children. I, I want to preach to you tonight on this subject. The battle of your father is here. The battle of your father is here. Would you put your Bibles down? Would you close your eyes? Would you lift your hands? Would you pray with me right now? Lord, we love you, God. We thank you. God, we give you all the glory. God, we give you all the honor. God, I thank you, God, for the opportunity, Lord, to be in your house tonight, in your presence. Lord, I know 
God, that there's somebody in this house that needs deliverance. I know there's somebody in this house that's never experienced you in the power of your spirit. Before this night is over, God, I'm asking you, Lord, to fill them from the top of their head to the sole of their feet. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody shout, Amen. Clap your hands as loud as you can as you're being seated today. You may be seated, but don't stay seated. Stay with me as I build a foundation. When I was younger, there was a term that was used a lot growing up. And that term was, you'll hear it occasionally, it was generational curse. Anybody remember that? It was used. They're fighting a generational curse. And they would, they would pray to break generational curses. It was believed to be passed down from one generation to another due to rebellion or uh, bad decisions, sin against God. It would suggest that If your family line was marked by divorce or incest or poverty or anger or ungodly patterns that that you very likely could be under a generational curse. The Bible says that these curses are tied to choices. Our scripture text lets, lets us know that. Deuteronomy 30 and 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And he says, he says, therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Our families have the greatest influence on our development, including the development of our patterns of sin. Some people would even say that family or generational curses are passed down along generational lines. Exodus 34 and 7 says, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third into the fourth generation. And you might say tonight, well, I don't believe that. I I just don't believe that. And my response would be, whether or not families inherit spiritual curses, I would suggest that it is obvious that patterns of sin are passed down through families. I've been in church too long. I've, I've got too many things I deal with personally to not believe or at least think there's some sort of connection to say that maybe this is something that, that my line deals with. Regardless of how it's there or why it's there, I think we can all agree that it's still there. It's still there. Everyone sins. I get it. I get it. But just as culture or ethnicity or gender can steer, I'm going somewhere, I promise, our patterns of sin in particular directions, so do our families. So do our families. Whether we like it 
or not, we inherit many traits and preferences from our parents or maybe even before then that aren't always a positive influence on ourselves or others. Now let me tell you right now, this is not beat up daddy day. I'm not here, I'm a father. I got kids. I'm not here, I, I am not here to, to preach that, 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 that what, what I feel like this generation deals with a, a victim mentality. That's not my purpose here tonight. What I do feel like the Lord has sent me to do tonight is though, is to acknowledge that there is something there, but there is a plan and there is a purpose and there is delivering power in the name of Jesus Christ. And so when we acquire a sinful habit or belief that negatively affects our lives or those around us, then we would say, well, that is a generational curse. It is the shadow side of behavior passed down through generations. I believe that sins of the fathers affect their children, not in the sense that God would regard the children as having also committed those same sins, but from the standpoint that the consequences of the sinful actions of an individual can have adverse implications that affect that individual's descendants, even though those descendants were not involved in or guilty of their ancestors' sinful actions. You say, well, give me an example. I promise you, hold, stay with me. You say, give me an example from Scripture that occurs it would be the manner in which all of the Israelites, including those who were too young to have had a voice in the matter at the time, were required to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of the adult Israelites' rejection of the report of the individuals whom Moses had sent to spy out the promised land. Every generation eventually will have to come face to face with the wilderness of their fathers that maybe they had nothing to do with. I want to come preach to somebody today that is dealing toward tonight, that is dealing with addiction, that is dealing with hurt, that is dealing with pain, that is dealing with all kinds of depression or 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 or, or or hatred or jealousy whatever it may be I come to tell you tonight that before this night is over there's somebody that's going to walk to this altar and you're going to fall on your face and you're going to get set free and delivered from something that has followed you for a long long time do you believe that? I wonder if there's anybody in this room would stand to their feet and say, tonight's the night that I deal with the... Oh, hallelujah. I'm looking at some people that's carrying an alcohol addiction that your granddaddy had, that your father had. But tonight is the night that you lay it down at an altar and God sets you free. Somebody hear me tonight. That at some point, we must face the wilderness before the wilderness overtakes us. Because when we do not conquer the things in our life, it affects the next generation. And then the next generation. 
and then the next generation. Jacob birthed a great nation, but he had to conquer some things first. There was this very damaging sin. I'm going to give you more scripture that had come down through Jacob's family. He saw and he heard about this flaw that his grandfather Abraham had. And now Jacob sees, he, he sees this same sin repeated in his father Isaac. And he is beginning to see the same tendency in himself. I, I, I remember back years ago, there was a, a gentleman in our church, Brother Tucker, that he, 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 would, he lived for God for 20 years. And I noticed something in his, in, his, in his conversation. I guess every time we would sit down and that we had the relationship, Brother Carson, where, where it, it, we, it could very easily, you know people that you just connect with and it could go down a road where you're like, I don't know how we got here, but we're here. And so he would say things about his mother. He would say, I hate her. I despise her. I wish she was not my mother. I remember one time, and I don't want to call his name, but I, I remember one time I looked at him and I said, you, you need to quit talking like that. And I, I quickly, as I, as, as, I, as I got around him more and spent more time with him and and talk, I, I quickly realized that, that he was dealing with something after I sat down with his father and you have those conversations with him. You quickly realize that there is a, there's a familiar spirit here. One night I had a dream. And I had a dream about this particular individual. And in that dream they were standing in a field. And he was holding the, he was holding the hand of his mother. He was holding the hand of his father and the, 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 the mother on the left side of him in this dream, it was just a dream I didn't I thought it was bad pizza but in the dream his mother turned and she walked on the inside of this individual and then he walked up to me and then all of a sudden because you've got to understand the backstory on that deal his mother left him and she did all kinds of awful things, abandoned, deserted, all those things. And when I woke up, the Holy Ghost, if I can say that, and I don't say that too often because I'm just a normal guy. But I'm telling you, at this, this particular time, I feel very strongly that the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, tell him that the very thing he hates, he's about to become. So I went back and I told him that. And it was very hard for me to tell him. But his, his mother was an alcoholic. His mother did all these things, all those things he hated about her. But because he could not find freedom from that and deliverance and he would not let go of those things, I went back and told him that. I said, the Holy Ghost said that the very thing that you hate, that you cannot conquer, God said, if you don't conquer it, you will become it. And I, can I tell you today, he brushed me off. But now, till this day and I believe he's still breath in his lungs there's still hope but now he is an alcoholic he is doing those things I'm telling you there is something to it but I believe that the power of the Holy Ghost can do exceeding abundantly 
say uh, above all that we can ask or think. Uh, I believe there's a breakthrough coming. I believe there's some people in this room right now that are dealing with some issues and some situations that God sent me to tell you that if you'll let him have it, he'll break the curse off of your family. So Jacob, he sees this. He saw and he heard about this flaw in his grandfather Abraham. Now he sees the same sin repeated in his father Isaac and he's beginning to see the same tendency in himself. Sometimes it's not so flattering seeing the traits. Doesn't that, doesn't that seem so relatable? It seems so relatable. The history of Jacob continues as he watches his father repeat the same wrong behavior of his grandfather Abraham and with the same damaging consequences. He sees Isaac, his father, under stress, reacting to a threatening situation exactly like his grandfather. It's crazy. Some of you have watched drugs destroy your family. Generation after generation after generation. And I ask you, who's going to break the pattern? Who's going to break it? Some of you have watched inconsistency. It's been something that has, it has destroyed generation after generation. I say, who's going to break the pattern? Some of you have watched adultery. You've watched all kinds of things. You've watched, can I preach? Is that all right? Can, can I preach? Can I tell you right now that the devil and the enemy and the adversary is trying to very secretly and quietly attack every generation all the way. But I'm telling you right now, there's a preacher that I believe God sent to tell you that you don't have to deal with it any longer. You can come lay it down at the feet of Jesus. You can come lay it down at the altar of God. And what, what therapy couldn't do, what rehab couldn't do, what family couldn't do, what relationships couldn't do, I come to tell you God can, and his name is Jesus. And that sounds old fashioned, but there's still somebody in this generation that believes that God can do the impossible, and God can turn it around. We all have things we battle that link back to sin and our relatives that our relatives couldn't shake, couldn't conquer. We see in other parts of Scripture. We see David. I mean, you, you look at this. You see it all through. David could not conquer his involvement with women. You say, oh, don't preach like that. I mean, I, you watch worse than what I'm talking about right now. I feel too comfortable. Pastor's watching right now. He's like, man, let me tell you. We got to talk about it. We got we, we, we to talk about these things. David sitting there, let me tell you, it's so, it's so apparent, his issue, that on his deathbed, the servant comes in. They think he's dead. He says, I'll tell you how we can find out if he's dead or not. He said, go find the fairest virgin in the land. Well, this is awful, but it's the truth. He said, bring her in, and we'll know if David's dead, because if there's any life in David, he couldn't conquer it. Of all the victories, of all the things 
They should have been around his deathbed talking about the giants that he slayed, talking about the battles that he won. But the one thing that he never conquered is what they're talking about. And then it's passed down. Why? Because you see in Solomon, his son, where he says, you got to realize that Solomon has 700 wives, 700 concubines. And Solomon's writings, he says, beware of the strange woman. Got 1400 bro but it ain't that one and it's something that could not be it was passed down generation to generation to generation all because somebody could not break that thing in their life but I'm telling you right now I'm looking at some people that have the revelation that if I let God have it God can take care of my flesh God can take care of my addiction God can take care of the lust in me God can tell I wish somebody would get the, uh, a dose of the Holy Ghost like you never have before and it walks with you it sets with you it breaks some things it stops the pattern I wish you'd lift your hand right now and let the Holy Ghost set upon you I'm not finished preaching but I wish somebody began to speak in a heavenly language I wish somebody would get connected with what the Holy Ghost is trying to do in this place hear me so Jacob sees it he sees it in Isaac he sees it in Abraham what was this family flaw this generational sin that keeps getting repeated what was it that God wanted Jacob to forsake what is it that Isaac does that his father Abraham had done it was the sin of deception. It was a pattern of lying. Pattern of deceiving. What, what, what Abraham couldn't conquer, Isaac had to deal with. What Isaac couldn't conquer, Jacob had to deal with. Isaac reacts to the threat of the famine the same way his father did with the same lie the same deception the same damage to his family the same loss of character and testimony we've already seen this happen twice in Abraham's life during the first time the first famine Abraham remember he took his family down to Egypt upon reaching the, the border he begins to fear for his own life with no regard for what would ha- might happen to his wife and so what does he say he tells he tells her he says you tell the Egyptians that, that you're my sister and I'm going to tell them that I'm your brother then they won't kill me and they have her so Abraham lies and you know the story and Sarah is taken by Pharaoh But this is what's so beautiful. God steps in. And he inflicts Pharaoh and his household with a serious... Let me say, don't you love it when God steps in even when you don't deserve it? No, no. Now we're about to preach. Because some of you should have been dead like your cousins were. 
but you're still alive. Some of you shouldn't have a marriage, but your marriage was put back together. All the reason why? Because God stepped in. Even when we didn't deserve, is there anybody in this place that should have been gone a long time ago, should have been locked up in prison, should Oh, you better hear me right now. I wish there was somebody that would be a witness to the goodness of Jesus that would testify that Jesus saved me, that Jesus found me. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was down, and my daddy picked me up even when I did not deserve it. Hallelujah. Some of you is on the side of a street. Nowhere to go. God said, I got a Bethlehem church. You would have done messed it up. You would have ended up with, oh my goodness, I feel God in this house. It was over for you. You didn't, I'm telling you, that curse done had you. Devil thought he had you. You was lying, you were deceiving, you were everything. But God sent an angel. God said, no, you can't have this one, devil. You can't go. I believe there's somebody in this place that would say, if God can do it for me, God can do it for you. Should have been over, should have been finished. You should have been dead. But God said, I don't care what they've done. I've got a purpose and a plan and a ministry. I got a future for them. So so he inflicts Pharaoh. Did he deserve it? No. Was he a liar? Yes. But God says, That's fine. I'll take care of it. And instead of trusting God to be with him and to bless him in a threatening situation, Abraham tries to bring the good into his life that he wants by lying and deceiving. This is not an isolated incident. It happened again. It became a behavioral pattern that was passed down to the next generation. Because that's what happens. When we start slipping, they are watching. Hear me. The next time Abraham finds himself in a threatening situation, it is in the very place where Isaac is, in the city of Gerar. And again, he fears for his life because of the beauty of his wife. And living in this pagan city with an unpredictable pagan ruler, Abraham, not trusting the Lord to be good to him, in fear, compromises his wife again by lying and saying, This is my sister. This is my sister. And again, God must step in to clean up the mess. How many times has God helped you? Over, over, and over again. I'm telling you, if you want to know, if you don't know why I'm passionate about what I'm preaching tonight, it's because I'm telling you I don't deserve to be up here holding this mic. I don't. I some, sometimes steal, Brother Carson. I, I, I'll sit back and I'll think, why in the world am I pre- I ought to be just, I, I, I would, there's no way that I should be doing what God has me. But over and over and over, God forgive me when I wouldn't forgive myself. God helped me when I wouldn't have helped myself. God looked over some things that there's no way that I could have ever looked over. But thank God. 
He kept cleaning up the mess. There's some folks in this place. He didn't clean up your mess once, not twice, not three times. It was over and 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 over again. Thank God for the mercy of Jesus Christ. Surely, David said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Oh, you want to know what it looks like, Brother Devin? This is what, your goodness, your mercy. This is what some of you look like. You get a hold of him, you grab a hold of him. This is what grab a hold of my back. Everywhere I'd go, I'd walk down a dark alley. I didn't know it, but I had buddies with me. One was named goodness and another's named mercy. Some of you, you walked into places that they should, you should have been hit by that bullet, but you had friends with you. One named goodness and one named mercy. Some of you, you should have never made it out of that car wreck, but there was somebody in the passenger seat. One of them named goodness and another named mercy. Some of you, you walked into prison, you walked into jail, you should have been shanked, you should have been dead, but you had a friend named goodness. You had a buddy named Mercy. Is there anybody thankful for the mercy of Jesus Christ? Some of us sitting here tonight facing the same situation that our father faced years ago, that our mothers faced years ago. Maybe it's infidelity. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's running from your problems. Fill in the blank. I'm talking to everybody here tonight. We all have things that torment us. We all have dark secrets. We all do. I'm telling you from the stage on down. There's all things. We deal with things. Let me tell you. you, you there, there's secrets some of you will take to your grave. Only you and God know. But Deuteronomy 30 and 19 says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you. Here's your options. Life or death. Blessing or cursing. Therefore, God sent me to tell you, choose life. Because you ain't got to die, honey. You ain't got to die. I'm telling you right now, the devil's telling you that your marriage is over. But I'm telling you, choose life. I'm telling you that the devil's trying to convince you that there is no future in the church for you. But God sent me to tell you, choose life. Choose life. Not just for you, but for your children. Now Jacob, I'm hurrying, watches as Isaac, his father, repeats the same behavior in the same city for the same reason. A generation later, Isaac also falls to trust God. Promises God's promises to be with the family and protect them, and he seeks good for himself by resorting to the same lie. It's crazy. The same lie. The same deception because of the same fear and the same sin shows itself again in the same family. Genesis 26 verse 6. Pull it up. You can read it along with me if you can. Verse 6 says and Isaac dwelt in Gerar and the men of the place asked him of his wife and he said same thing as Abraham said. Same thing as Isaac said. 
It's my sister. It's my sister. It's what he said. For he feared to say she is my wife. Wife, lest said he the men of the place should kill me for Rebecca because she was fair to look upon. Another lie. Same family. Verse 8 says, And it came to pass when he had been there a long time uh, that Abimelech king of the Philistines, he looked out a window and he saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with, with Rebekah his wife. Abimelech's palace was undoubtedly the highest building in the city. And, and where, the, where, where from his windows he could look down into the streets of the city and into the windows of houses below him when the curtains were not closed. And he looks down into the window, Brandon Clifton, he looks down into the window of the foreigner's house and he sees Isaac caressing Rebecca. And he says to himself, there ain't no way. That is not his, his sister and immediately the king knows that this is no sister and it is, it, it is his turn to be afraid and he knew the history of his father who came into, the, in, into contact with his family and he fears that some, some of his men might have acted inappropriately toward Rebecca assuming that she was single. Let me tell you about the adversary. Even when you're in the wrong, they still fear your God. You, you hear me right now. If you've been perfect all your life, you don't know what I'm talking about. But you're looking at somebody that says, I remember when that I didn't deserve anything that I got. But it was as if hell said, whoa. Abimelech looks down into the window and he's not mad because he lied about that being his, his wife. He's mad because he almost messed up with his God. Even in your sin, hell fears you. Even in, even in when you're messed up, that's why it's good that even, look, even when you're messing up, get back to the altar. Because as soon as the devil watches you walk back into his presence, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost, there is a fear that comes over every imp, every demon, every devil in hell. I don't care what you've done. If you're lifting your hands tonight, the devil's sitting with attention, saying, my God, he's closer to him than we thought. My God, he, he, he's got more than we realized. Get your hand off of it. So, Genesis 26, verse 9, the Bible says, And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety she is thy wife. And the house says thou she is my sister. And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, Lest I die for her. And Abimelech said, What is this thou hast done unto us? One of the people might lightly have lied with your wife and, and thou shouldest have brought guiltiness upon us. And Abimelech charged all his people saying, He that touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. You know what I feel in the Holy Ghost right now? Some of you feel so low. And you feel so guilty. And there's condemnation so strong in this bill. But let me tell you what the Lord's trying to tell you. That the enemy is standing at attention. And you may think you're the least of these for what you've done. But he's saying, he's the, the enemy's saying, you better not touch them. You better not touch them. Why? He said, because if you put your hand on him, that God will torment us. Will destroy us. Will stop us. You say, well, I was born with addictions. 
You say, well, I was born with a temper. You say, I was born with a tendency to lie, to cheat. And my answer to, the, to that is, have you not been born again? Have we not been born Again, Ephesians 2 and 19 says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Ruth said, I'm a Moabite, but I ain't got to stay here. I'm, I'm coming to a close. Brother Tucker, you can come on up, start playing softly. She said, I'm a Moabite, but I ain't got to stay here. No. I don't, Naomi, wherever you go, that's where I'll go. Where they bury you, that's where they'll bury me. Your God will be my God. Your people, you know what needs to happen in this place? You might say, brother, I wasn't raised in this thing. But there ought to be a spirit of Ruth come upon you that says where they go, that's where I'll go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I don't have to stay here. Joshua told the people, he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Serve the gods of your fathers if you won't. But he said, but as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. Won't you stand to your feet tonight? I was 12 years old. I've preached too long already. You don't know the testimony of my dad. I don't have time to tell you. Some of you might. But I remember when I was just a, just a kid. You can play softly, Brother, brother Ethan. I, didn't know, I don't remember if I told you or not to play. No, I told you to come. But where he received the Holy Ghost is about a, about a mile from my house. Brother Randall Flake was the pastor. He's going on to be with the Lord. Him and my mom were married there. Matter of fact, my mom was, she's always been in church. Alcohol's never touched her lips. She's never, I mean, she's just been in church all her life. My coach in high school told me, now you got to understand my dad's past. It was nothing like my mom's. Matter of fact, he watched his dad die when he was 10 years old, shot back, blew out the front <clears throat> he was went on this crazy tangent when he was literally 12 years old He, my grandmother's at our church now, but when he's 12 years old he stole, he stole their truck <clears throat> and was passed out drunk for three days, they couldn't find him, had, had police looking for him, 12 years old, that's crazy to think but it's true he almost died in Tupelo in a bar room. He was stabbed in a, in a fight. He's got a scar still to this day. It goes all the way around. He's laying on his deathbed. He said, God, if you're real, if you'll save me, he said, I'll live for you. I don't know what that even means, but I'll live for you. The doctor came in and looked at him. He said, Brother Porterfield, or he didn't say that at that time. He said, if that knife would have hit your lungs, he said it missed it by an eighth of an inch. He said, had it, had it just 
barely cut. He said, before they got you here, you'd have drowned in your own blood. So he did what a lot of us do. He didn't go to church. He got out and he's like, oh, made it. Got another chance. But he just so happened to get a job with a man named Arthur Walker that was going to that church at the time. Let me tell you how important Sunday nights are. On Monday morning, my dad, he said he'd be hungover. It'd be 5 o'clock. They'd be driving to Memphis. He said, I'd carpool with him. I'd sit in the back. He said, and Arthur Walker and the other gentleman, he said, they'd be talking about Sunday nights. He said, it'd be dark in there. They'd be talking about how good church was. Brother Carson, he said, I'd sit in the back seat. He said, I'd wipe tears from my eyes. Because he remembered what he told the Lord. One, 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 one week, one Friday, Arthur Walker said, Gary, he said, won't you come to church with us? He said, all right. He went there. My dad was a racist man at the time. There's a preacher they had that night named Herman Gant. He was a black man from, from Missouri. Sat down there. Let me tell you, God deals with everything. He just he deals with everything. So my, my prejudiced dad sat on the back row. He listened to that powerful man of God, Brother Herman Gant, who pastored in Missouri. When it was over with, he walked to that front. That, that man of God who happened to be of color looked at my dad. He said, you want the Holy Ghost, son? My dad said, yeah. He lifted his hands. And his spiritual father is a black man by the name of Herman Gant. And he laid his hands on my dad. And he dealt with every bit of racism, dealt with every bit. That day, God filled him with the Holy Ghost. Hey, I love Bocoyas. You hear me? And I said all that to say this. I've never met my grandfather on that side. Never met any of his brothers. My grandfather was shot. One was stabbed. One hung himself. One OD. I mean, all the, we're walking down to that church. My dad's got me 12 years old. We walk into that cemetery. He looks and he says, Brother Murphy, he says, there's your grandfather. There's this one, this one. He's telling me all this stuff. And Uncle Ray, he looked at me and he said, he said, you've never met my dad, have you, Corey? I'm 12 years old. I promise you this happened. But it didn't make any sense to me until, the, until now. It makes a lot of sense to me now. I said, no, sir. You know what he said to me? He said, your kids will meet me. I said, why is that, Dad? He said, because I broke the curse on our family. I broke the curse on our family. So I come to tell somebody tonight that the battle of your father is here. What they dealt with, you've been dealing with. Ain't their fault. Somebody before them dealt with it as well, but they, they, they didn't conquer it. But it stops with It stops tonight. Oh, I feel so. These altars are open. I feel such a strong, 
I feel such a, 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 a liberty in this place right now. There's somebody that ought to get to this house, that ought to get to this front, that's carrying something, that's carrying a heaviness, that's carrying an addiction, that's carrying bondage. You ought to walk them. If your kids are up here, you ought to walk up here with them. And you ought to give a, get a hold of them and begin to pray in a heavenly language. We got to deal with it. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Oh, God. It stops here. Addiction stops here. Anger. Jealousy. Bitterness. Unfaithfulness. Inconsistency. It stops here. Tonight's the night. Come on, somebody. Come on. That's it. That's it. I'm telling you, there's people that are breaking free. There's people that's getting a hold of what this preacher preached about. Come on. Oh, break it off your life. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's it, sir. That's it, that's it, that's it. That's the Holy Ghost.
see. I declare every chain is broken. We're gonna be free. We're gonna be free. Yes. We're gonna be free. Oh, we're gonna be free. We're gonna be free. As for me, as for me and my house, as for me and my house, as for me. generation. The promises of God can go on from generation to generation to generation. 
Serve the Lord. Choose life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Brother Porterfield, for obeying God tonight. God spoke to our hearts. We thank God for his mercy. Nothing thrills my heart. You know, I, I thought of the scripture that said, greater joy had no man than this. That, he, that to see the children, I think it was John that said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. There's no greater joy to a father than to see his children walking in truth and then his grandchildren walking in truth, then his great-grandchildren walking in truth. That decision a lot of times rests upon us that we set the example. Every child won't obey it, but if we set the example, there are chances. I'm, I'm telling you, this isn't just something preachers can talk about. This is something... If a judge could stand up here that's judged many cases and tell you how he's seen generation after generation in his courtroom, it'd be a testimony. Brother Tucker, I know you've seen it. Brother Larry, I know you've seen it. As attorneys, you've seen it over and over and over, repeat pattern. But I'm thankful that God can turn it all around in one night. Hallelujah. In one service. The curse is destroyed. The yoke is destroyed. In Jesus' name. We appreciate this good word of the Lord tonight. Every soul that got a touch from the Lord. How many of you got blessed tonight in this place? Hallelujah. Minister to, renewed in the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Ghost. Thank you, God. God bless you. Remember our services this week. Let's come expecting a great move of God every service. In Jesus' name, you're dismissed in the name of God.